great and powerful odds. I said, come back tomorrow. If you are really great and powerful, you'll keep your promises. Do you presume to criticize the great odds? You ungrateful creatures think yourselves lucky that I'm giving you audience tomorrow instead of 20 years from now. The great Oz has spoken. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The great Oz has spoken. Who are you? I am the great and powerful wizard of Oz. Logic, Larry, it's Thursday night, the sun has just gone down because it's crazy these days, the sun is staying up very late. I'm glancing out at the New York and Newark skylines, this train's coming in and out of Penn Station, Empire State Building is lit up white, and I am here with you, and we are going to talk about those people behind the curtains. And whether we stand to gain anything by listening to their nonsense on a regular basis and how we suffer from their nonsense. Everything I say on this podcast is strictly my opinion, does not reflect the opinion or position of any other entity or any other person. I speak to you in a private capacity as a private citizen. Everything I say is for entertainment purposes and me speaking as a private citizen and me alone speaking for me alone. It's hot as hell in my apartment because it's been hot for three days, sweltering hot. Humid, too. I got the AC unit and I'm doing okay, but I got to turn it off when I'm on the uh, radio here because otherwise it'd get in the way and the sound wouldn't be very good. But it's a shame, actually, for those of you who are not in New Jersey, New York, I hope wherever you are, this weekend's going to be better weather because it's Memorial Day weekend, which traditionally symbolizes the start of summer. But despite our hot-as-hell work days all week, This weekend is supposed to be rainy and cold and gray the entire weekend, save for Saturday. And look, Saturday is Memorial Day itself, and I get it. Some people like to, you know, barbecue on on Monday. That's when Memorial Day actually is on Monday, and it's going to be okay on Monday. But a lot of people got work the next day, including me. Got to be in court Tuesday, so I can't enjoy Monday the same way I would a Sunday or a Saturday. So... I don't care. Rain be damned. I'm going up to Violante's on Bloomfield Avenue. I'm getting my sausages, and I plan on grilling something on Sunday. Whether I got to go into the basement bar and chill with people down there or whether I'm going to go under a tent or something, I don't know. But I'm not going to allow this weather to put a damper, literally, on my first grill of the season. I'll tell you that much. And it's a shame, too, because it feels like all spring we've been like that, right? It feels like... All spring, whenever I try to hit the golf course, whenever I try to go out, it was cold. There was a brisk breeze. You know, it was raining. It was gray. And then whenever I was working or I couldn't be out, it was hot and sunny and reaching, you know, 90 degrees. You don't even realize because you're working. It's like a Tuesday. You go outside and it's 90 degrees and sunny. And you're like, what the hell's going on? It's spring. Then the weekend comes. You're like, oh, maybe I'll go to the beach. Maybe I'll do something, do this, do that. No, and it's raining and it's cold and it feels like March. Just a weird time. And I'm no fan of bad weather or rain so that's just my little rant but the lead-in song was bobby krill's my truth i was inspired by that this week and the reason i was inspired by that is because bobby's a dude i've known for a very long time we go way back in the music thing and the truth is 
I think we all kind of go through that in our 30s where we're, we're realizing like, what impact am I going to have? How big am I going to get? Is everything I've strived for and everything I've done on the side, is everything worth it or not? And should I refocus? Should I recalibrate? Well, I'm here on this podcast with you guys every week because I think whatever reach I have with you and whatever reach you have beyond me or back to me is well worth the effort that I put forth on this podcast. It's touching some lives and making some impact. We will see how far that goes. But there are people in this world, some of them very undeserving people that if you looked at them, Straight up, they'd put their pants on in the morning the same way you and I do. They struggle with the same things you and I do. They have the same ailments, the same illnesses. They're just as fragile as you and I are, yet they, through many times arbitrary means, become these puppet masters and become these men behind the curtain who may be small and minuscule, but in their presentation and in the way that society views them, they take on a larger-than-life personality and a larger-than-life presence, one that's unwarranted. And I don't think when I say those things, I'm not talking about these grand conspiracies like there's like, you know, five men in a council in a room somewhere coming up with single-minded plots to do something to humanity or disenfranchise mankind. But I do think that behind many of the things that we go through every day and behind many of our own disputes and struggles and strife and narratives, there are specific people who are in it for financial gain, for power, for various other things, and they're undeserving of the positions that they hold, and we have to circumvent and overcome their nonsense. So I'm going to go through some news from this week, but I'm going to kind of that's the theme. I'm going to talk about that and touch on that throughout this show because it's really hit me a little harder this week, given what's in the news and other things of that nature. There are these men behind the curtain and they're, they're trying to pull our strings for better or worse. So and this Edda James song was a request from Will out in uh, Oregon. So shout out to Will. He's a he's a weekly listener. But look, so this week, one of the most interesting things that came out was this COVID-19 news, right? There's been this dispute since the beginning of COVID. Some people wanted to say it was a bioengineered, you know, chemical weapon, or it was at least man-made, and that it came from a lab in Wuhan. And the general consensus scientifically was if you look at the actual molecular biological structure of the virus, it is way more likely that it occurred naturally. So that has long been the consensus. Now, the, the, the World Health Organization delved into the issue. They came back with a report that essentially said it's very likely that it's naturally occurring, less likely by a lot that it came out of a lab. Now, I said to you from the beginning of this thing that, A, there was no way this thing was man-made. But B, could a natural virus, a virus that was natural, but that was held at the Wuhan lab, could that have escaped? Could that have escaped? That was plausible. Said, you know, maybe a natural virus that they were studying, that they had gathered a sample for, had escaped. But so they've been looking and it took 15 years for them to track down the animal source of the first SARS virus, 15 years. 
It was 2002 or something, I guess. I didn't find it to 2017. So anyway, this week, the Washington, not the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal came out with a, a story essentially citing an intelligence report saying that it had not been previously known, but now it was known that several workers from the Wuhan lab had actually gone to the hospital in November 2019 complaining of COVID-like symptoms. So there were workers at the lab in Wuhan that studies coronaviruses that went to the hospital in 2019 before any cases we really knew about COVID were out. And so with that newspaper article... Then Fauci, they ask him, you know, are you sure it didn't come from a lab? And he says, no, I'm not. You know, I'd really like to know whether it came from the lab or it was natural. Then Biden comes out and Biden says, I'm demanding a full investigation into whether this came from a lab or not. So now, you know, all over Facebook, on every news article I look at, everything, the lab theory. Did it come from the lab? The lab theory is credible. Why is the lab theory suddenly credible? The lab theory. But here's the thing. Remember what I tell you about the media. Remember what I tell you about the media and their sensationalization. Sorry, I'm stumbling a little bit tonight. I don't know why. Maybe it's what I'm drinking. I don't know. But they're sensationalizing it. But the fact is, this is what we know, okay? The genetic makeup of the virus. There's really not technology available to human beings, to scientists, to have been able to take the known existing viruses that we have and reverse engineered them in order to create the the structure of the current COVID-19 virus. There's just not. We don't have the medical technology, the biological wherewithal. We don't have the biological wherewithal to create the current virus the way we know it. So the virus itself, it still is vastly more likely than not to be a natural virus. Now, there have been reports that several mine workers fell ill in another part of China earlier in 2019 or 2018. And that workers from the Wuhan lab may have gone to that cave and may have collected specimens from that cave. And perhaps... They had taken those specimens to the Wuhan lab, and that's the COVID-19 virus. And perhaps that natural virus that came from bats and jumped to humans leaked from the lab. But there is no definitive proof that that happened. The only new thing we've learned is that certain workers at the lab were sick early. We don't even know if they were sick with COVID. They could have been sick with the flu. There was a bad flu that went around in November, December last year, especially here. Anyway, that's the news. And it's just interesting, though, that Biden, who was basically calling Trump a a kook and out of his mind, the whole campaign and Fauci, who basically bolstered that position in not so many words, are all of a sudden using that new news to pivot and now say, oh, I want an investigation. And Fauci's like, I'm not sure, because now Biden sees an opening to go at China for foreign relations reasons foreign policy reasons and now they want to pivot because they want to be on the right side of whatever story comes out and now they want to see an advantage and a way to say well we're trying to get to the bottom of it no matter what 
They're just pivoting. But it's interesting because then Trump came out too. He said, I was right all along. It came from a lab. Uh, you know what I find interesting about that? Speaking about these men behind the curtains who manipulate people. They all know, and I always talk on the show about nuance and how important nuance is. Nuance is so important in everything we look at, everything we talk about, everything we study, everything we comprehend. The fact is that there's a connotation, right? When you say it came from a lab or you start talking about a lab origin or anything like that, and and well said, there's a connotation. It's exactly what I was going for, JR. There's a connotation that when you say it came from a lab, that people start thinking it was created and manufactured in a lab. And people know that, so they prey on that. And, and I know they're not explicitly saying it, but they prey on that and they don't highlight the nuance and try to explain anything to us and no sides trying to help us understand it. And there's a nuance there that's really important because it's important to understand that this still is a naturally occurring virus. And whether it got from a lab, if it came from a lab, then we need to seriously recalibrate and refocus the security at labs. And by the way, even people who still think it didn't leak from the lab, scientists, who have studied what happened here still say, still say that the security at the Wuhan lab was lacking, period. Whether it leaked or not, we got to do better because something could leak. Something could leak. So it's just funny that, again, Biden's now, his administration is all of a sudden, I want, I demand China, you know, turn over everything. And Trump is saying, I was right all along. Etc. Etc. And yes, that's that's part of the problem, I think, with people. And you said it right. You said it well. It's part of the problem with people. There's these underlying assumptions and connotations that people just make, and they they want to jump at. And the nuance is lost in everything. And when we lose the nuance, we really lose a chance to a truly understand what's going on, and b have a legitimate conversation about how to move forward and fix what's going on. So that's a problem. Um. Interestingly, again, who's pulling strings and why? And Rick, yes, this is Sade. And this is a song you you put me on to, the tattoo song, like a tattoo, great song. Um, so Republicans in Congress are now demanding a commission on the origin of the COVID-19 virus. Now they want a commission on that, which, by the way, it's probably not a bad idea, right? I mean, a bipartisan commission, let, let's be honest. So the 9-11 bipartisan commission was highly commended. They they really went through the systemic failures that led to 9-11, the domestic failures, the international relations uh, and foreign policy considerations that led to 9-11, all of those things all of those things were studied by the 9-11 Commission. We've had very, very many successful bipartisan commissions throughout the history of the United States, and not even just in government, in private entities, in local government, etc. So Republicans are now demanding a further investigation to the origins of COVID-19. They want the commission on COVID-19 anyway, wants everything turned over as far as what the origins could be. That's what it is. And I understand that, and that makes sense. But the funny thing is, so now there's supposed to be a commission on the January 6th insurrection and the January 6th riots. 
and they are expected to filibuster that. Now, last week I talked about how I thought it was a little redundant to have another commission into January 6th. I thought it was a little bit backward looking by the Democrats. I don't know if I was right or wrong on that. I mean, I don't think we should dwell on January 6th and dwell on, especially, here's my thing. If it's a bipartisan commission, if it's a bipartisan commission, then it makes sense to investigate, let's say, why the security failed, why people were allowed to infiltrate the Capitol, why there were not a certain amount of police in a certain area, especially because somebody died, Officer Sicknick died. So why not investigate those systemic failures that led to it? And we can investigate the media and political failures that led to the sentiments too. But if it becomes just another Trump investigation, another Trump, you know, they're just going after Trump, then I think it's it's unnecessary. It's just political nonsense. But if it's actually to investigate everything, you know, that, you know, encompassed in that, I understand it. But it's just interesting to me that, the same, on the same day Republicans are demanding answers on COVID-19, I demand it now because it's politically advantageous to try to say, look, it was China all along. Trump didn't do anything. We're great. Doesn't change the fact of the failures we had domestically in handling the virus either way, but fine. But on the same day they do that, they turn around and filibuster. One thing, too, to vote it down, like say it was a popular vote, a majority vote, and just Republicans had the majority and they voted down the commission. That's one thing. But they have a majority that want to create the commission with some Republicans, like probably 54, 55 senators out of 100 that would vote for the commission. But they're going to block it, like block it, like not only are we not going to vote for it, we're going to block you from voting for it. Now, I did read from one senator. I did read from one senator that the Republicans see this is the stuff again so the media the politics they're behind the curtain they're trying to make these grandstands they will filibuster the commission and Republicans are trying to say it's a witch hunt you listen to me but here's a little tidbit I read I read that certain Republicans are just there's an amendment to the commission bill and all they want is to be assured that the staffers, like, you know, the actual researchers, attorneys, people like that, the staffers of the commission will be hired by both Democrats and Republicans, that there'll be a bipartisan staff. Republicans are worried that if the commission passes as it is, it's just going to be pure Democratic staff, which they're worried it could be a Trump investigation. It's focused on Trump. A purely political one. And I don't blame them for that. But then on the other hand, I'm suspicious because I'm like, well, do they want to just put some plants in there that are just going to defend Trump at all costs and not go where the evidence goes? I don't know. But isn't it sad that we're at a point where we can't trust either side to act appropriately with regard to an investigation of an insurrection at our Capitol building? We can't even trust either side's rhetoric about the damn commission, let alone create a commission. These grandstands, they're the Oz outside the curtain proclaiming things, these grand proclamations. But they're really just little people behind the curtain. And one Republican was quoted as saying, you know, 
They're interested in just taking back the house. They're interested in taking back the house. Or taking back the Senate or both. In 2022, they just want to take Congress back in 2022. That's where they're focused. Now, they're not looking backwards. They're looking to take Congress. It's one thing to say, I'm not looking backwards. I'm looking forward to see what we can do for the country. It's another thing to say, I'm not looking backwards because it hurts me politically. I'm looking forward to see what I could do politically for my own gain. I mean, come on. And that's what the theme of tonight is going to be, though. I don't think there's any grand conspiracy that... You know, some world banking leaders or something are behind. I think there's a lot of self-interested people in positions of power who come from places of power who want to manipulate things. And they're getting away with it because we're letting them. Now, Rick, that's another thing that happened in Arizona where they pulled the Secretary of State's investigative power. Yes, it's it's crazy. the, the, The manipulations, because you know why? If it was based on truth... If people were making decisions based on truth, validity, fact, information, pragmatism, solutions, utilitarianism, I would be behind it. But people are making decisions purely for political gain and party. And one of the things last week I said was that party seemed to be the number one issue for people and what divides them. And it it led the researchers to say that it was scary because people would almost it looks like Americans are willing to say power of the party party power is going to be the ends that justify any means i.e. they don't care about their fellow americans their fellow christians their fellow anything they care about the party overall today americans in general and so the the party is paramount period that's scary stuff so anyway in discussing that stuff and, and look there is a kind of a culminating element to the show tonight you know i i, I do have an interesting interesting example of this man behind the curtain thing as it specifically relates to social media and as it relates to the left so stay tuned but i do want to go through news because you know i don't want to just slack on any of the news this week so another thing happening this week was the infrastructure package is still in limbo and there has been some developments so Last time we talked, the Republicans had said they were going to counter President Biden with a, you know, a proposal that would still come in significantly under what he wanted, but that would get closer to where he was. The deadline came, the deadline went, they never came with a package. Now, interestingly, though, this week, they did come up with a package. They came to Biden with a $928 billion infrastructure plan of their own. Biden is now at $1.7 trillion in infrastructure. So Biden has come down. Republicans have come up. We are talking about, you know, $7 billion in difference at this point. Maybe a little more than that. No. Seventy billion. <laughs> we're we're a while away, but they're they're getting closer and closer. They're inching closer and closer to a possible infrastructure deal. Now Republicans are insisting that. Now this is something interesting, right? Because this is more grandstanding and posturing, but it does seem to me like both the sides behind the scenes actually do want to get infrastructure done. Because as I've said in the past, 
it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer to get infrastructure done. We need it. But some of the extra stuff, I don't know. So one of the sticking points on that, though, too, is this. Republicans want to pay for this thing using with user fees, a gas tax. Basically, if you drive an electric vehicle, you're going to pay tax on, I guess, charging or the vehicle itself or whatever. You're going to pay tax through the gas tax. And basically, the Biden administration says, no, 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 no. We're going to take the tax from higher earners. We're not going to pay for this with middle class and working class people's money. And that's one of those things I just don't understand is who's really pulling the strings. Do you think Republicans truly believe that we should have middle class, working class people paying it so that rich people get away with it? I mean, is that really what they believe in their heart ideologically? I have a hard time believing that that's what they believe. But then I wonder, who is it then that's behind the strings that's telling them you better not raise corporate tax? I mean, why are they dying on the hill of corporate taxes? And even if, you know, some smaller businesses say, well, I'm taxed as a corporation, I'm going to. Yeah, but it's better one person in a corporation than literally every working person across the entire country who already has a high enough tax burden. I thought the idea of the infrastructure plan. And I thought the message of both sides was that we stand up for the middle class. We stand up for the working class. We care about middle class working Americans and Main Street. I thought that was generally both their message. Yet in practice, it seems they're both concerned only with Wall Street and the wealthy and the well-off and their ideas. They're fighting amongst themselves at their cocktail parties while we're all bearing the brunt of it. But it's interesting. So I don't know why they're hanging their head on that, but Biden says no. So that remains to be seen. We did get assurances this week, which is great. We got assurances this week that... The Biden administration, the Biden administration is going to make the Gateway Project for New York and New Jersey a priority. That we will get our tunnel approval, we will get our bridge approval. It's in the pipeline. We've already gotten approval for one of the bridges. The tunnel approval is on its way, and we are going to be good. So that's a big thing. Of course, the second shoe to drop has to be actually the funding through the Biden infrastructure package, which needs to get passed because we're decaying over here and these tunnels are going to break one day and it's going to stall commerce throughout a huge portion of the American economy. So we did get that news. So that's good. So honestly, on the infrastructure stuff, even though I think there's still some nonsense behind the scenes, we are making some progress, which is good, which is good to see. Now, on the other hand, other budgetary news that came out this week was that the Biden administration, President Biden, proposed his budget. This is a $6 trillion budget. $6 trillion budget that Biden's proposing. It's $1.3 trillion in the deficit over the next decade. It is, he proposed this budget. Proposed this budget. 
without really specifying how he was going to pay for it. Without specifying how he was going to pay for it. And that's a problem. So I understand. And he, he makes these grand proclamations about, you know, we need to do this, this once in a once in a generation investment. I agree. But there's not as much technology and stuff. There's a lot of these liberal wish, wish list stuff for people. And that's fine. People need health care. People need help, tax breaks, etc. But it's this huge wish list. And we don't really know the ins and outs of each individual proposal or aspect of the policy and whether we all agree that it's all beneficial or whether some of it's wasteful. But the price tag is going to put us in immense debt. Immense debt. And here's another little fact about the budget that Biden proposed. It agrees to let the middle class and working class tax cuts that occurred under Trump, that portion of the tax cuts, expire in 2025. So Biden is proposing massive spending, deficit spending, and seems to be ready to allow middle class and working class tax cuts to expire in 2025. And that makes you wonder. Now, there's two ways to see this, too. On the one hand, Biden's done quite well on this infrastructure negotiation so far. I mean, at the beginning of this infrastructure thing, no one thought that they were going to actually be able to pull any kind of bipartisan deal. They thought he's going to shove it through with reconciliation. That's it. There's no way. There's no other way. And now all of a sudden, it seems like because he started so high and he went grand and he's going around selling it in Cleveland today and all across the country and Kamala Harris is out and they're pushing it and it's resonating. And people are happy. They got money and more on that later with inflation stuff. But he's actually might pull this infrastructure deal off in a bipartisan way. So I don't know if I'm going to criticize his budget and say, There's two ways of looking at A, is he playing it really high and putting all these things in it as a starting point to see where it goes? Because he's been a politician a long time and this is how they do it. And if he succeeds on infrastructure, you got to hand it to him. Is he doing that? If that's the case, then that looks good. And that's an interesting way to look at it. We'll see how it plays out. On the other hand, is Biden paying his dues with all the progressives and where the party is now? Who got him elected and helped get him elected? And is he just a mouthpiece for the Sanders camp right now and pushing Bernie Sanders stuff? Or is he pushing Bernie Sanders stuff knowing it's not going to go through in its entirety, but just putting it out there to save face and to try to get some of it? I don't know. I'm not ready to accuse Biden of being manipulated by somebody else or being a crazy spender quite yet. But the budget is a little bit alarming. The good news is he doesn't get to make the budget. He's asking Congress to pass that budget. So that budget's obviously not going to pass. Well, I doubt it. So we're going to see what happens. It's a negotiating point. And that's one of the main reasons I would say that it's probably the former rather than the latter. It's probably Biden setting up a negotiate, setting the table for negotiations, which he's done well with the infrastructure part. So you got to you got to respect that. You really do. Um, but now moving on, moving on. Let's talk about the fact that while this is what's going on in Washington and perhaps we actually have 
And, you know, we could say Biden's old school Republican light. I don't, I don't really agree with that. That whole, that whole notion that if you're in the middle of the road, you're a Republican. Like, who says Democrats have to be so far left? His, his proposals are this budget is the highest spended expenditure from the U.S. government as far as a budget goes since post-war America, since World War II. So that's FDR level stuff. So you can't really say he's Republican light. That's that's just out the window. It's it's gone. He's not Republican light. He, he's not how he's governing. Period. Uh, there's no way around. He's not governing that way. I don't know what else to say. For better or worse, sometimes I think he's too liberal on certain stuff. I'm like Joe. Whoa, thought you were a little more center. But I think if he gets what he wants and he gets bipartisan deals through, then I'll I'll be happy with it. But. While this is going on in D.C. and there's some BS going on back and forth with the commissions and whatnot, and then some progress on infrastructure, they actually seem to be maybe doing some real work. You have these states, as I talked about last week, these various states just playing this game by passing legislation that, again... This feeds into tonight's theme, this manipulation, this grandstanding to feed the populace for their social media nonsense. They're passing these laws that are way too far one way or the other just to enter into this political sphere and just to kind of, you know make a statement and enter the dialogue and the narrative and get people arguing. And and two of those things this week were, first of all, in Pennsylvania, there was an abortion, a few abortion bills that came out. And I, I just, I got to be honest, I don't know, when are they, when are they going to stop? If you don't personally agree with abortion because it's against your religion, or you don't personally agree with abortion because it's against this or that, then don't get an abortion, okay? Tell people not to get it, urge them not to, okay? It's the best you could do. But the law is settled, the law is settled. Abortion's legal in this country. This obsession, it's just, that's what I mean. Why are we obsessing over things that, that are, are what they are? Just for the political discourse, just for the extravagance of the issue, just for the voter bait, just for the clickbait on social media. So PA passed this law, and again, first, first thing was that they're going to deem it, they're saying you can't get an abortion Anytime there's a heartbeat, like that's the cutoff, a heartbeat. But heartbeats can appear very early in a pregnancy. Sometimes that's the first time a woman even knows she's pregnant. So that's a problem. And that's a new law that they're trying to pass in Pennsylvania. We'll see if it gets struck down or not. They People really believe the new Supreme Court, the way that it is, is going to uphold some of these restrictive abortion laws. But so far, they haven't. The second part of it was that House Bill 118. House Bill 118 in Pennsylvania states that... Anytime there's even a miscarriage, if there's even a miscarriage, then the healthcare center must, under penalty of law, must issue a death certificate, even if it's just a miscarriage, any kind of tissue. They have to recover the tissue if they can, issue a death certificate, and must provide ritualistic burial services even if it's just a miscarriage. Now, it's not compulsory. A lot of articles going around saying it's compulsory on the mother, i.e. she has to have a funeral. 
she has to say it. That's not accurate. It says that the healthcare provider has to. So, of course, the mother can say, I'm not interested. But the healthcare provider still has to treat it like a human death. The problem with that is, again, it just feeds into, it just feeds into the narrative. Why do they do something like that? Why is this, whoever introduced House Bill 118, why is he doing it? Is he doing it because he truly believes it's going to change abortion or he truly believes that it's the right thing to do at heart? Is that why he's doing it? Or is he grandstanding, putting on a show, grandstanding, putting on a show because he knows it'll get people hyper, it'll get people talking, it'll get people angry? And does he know that by issuing death certificates for tissue and issuing ritualistic burials for tissue that it will cause people to be more apprehensive about abortion in general. It will cause them to start seeing tissue, even from a miscarriage, which is traumatic enough for people, for the mother and the father and everybody involved. Traumatic enough. Now you're going to make these people visualize it as if it was a human life because you want to start to change the narrative. How manipulative and sick is that? How manipulative and sick is that? And remember, we only pay attention to the headlines, and that's a headline, so that's out there. But what about this? Did anybody hear about the Valley Transportation Authority in California, the mass shooting that took place there, cost nine people their lives? It's been sparsely in the news over the last day or two, but not too much. Everybody's talking about the commission filibuster, and all these other things, but what about this mass shooting? I mean, another nine innocent people just went to work trying to get people transported to their jobs. And all of a sudden, they're dead, and there's very little fanfare. There's very little news. There's very little anything, really. There's not another push in Congress for gun issues. There's nothing, really. You know why? Because... They're talking about other things right now and because it's not politically advantageous to do it and because there was no racial or other angle to the shooting that made it sensational. It wasn't an immigrant for what what we know. It wasn't uh, an Islamic person from what we know. It wasn't any kind of racial angle from what we know. I think it was an older white guy just shooting certain people. So there's no fanfare. So, of course... It's not really in the news very much, and there's not a lot going on about it. Because why? Because they can't manipulate your emotions. If they can't manipulate your emotions and drive you to react a certain way, they're not really interested, are they? And it's not being pushed very much. And we're victims and culprits of the same thing because we are victims of it because they're not pushing in our face. We're not getting... We're not becoming aware of it as much. We're also culprits because we're not talking about it as much, okay? We're all complicit in this societal decay. We're all complicit in what they're doing because we also give credence to these people, too much credence. And back to the abortion thing really quick, just because I saw something in the chat, just because I saw something in the chat. Yeah, it's precedent, but but to be honest, the Supreme Court thus far, as far as abortion cases, has tended to so far uphold the precedent that abortion is legal. They've, they've not overturned a lot of these other laws that they've tried already with this new supreme court have not worked but here's an interesting thing while we're on guns while we're on guns 
while we had a mass shooting again in California, and we have these issues going on with guns, it's a serious issue. You know what Texas was doing this week? Again, so states are passing frivolous, nonsensical laws just to get into the national dialogue politically. And there's real problems that everybody's ignoring. And the news feeds into it. The local politicians feed into it. The national politicians feed into it. All these Ozes, all these people that act like grandstanders. And we give them the power to be grandstanders because we willfully are deferential to them. We willfully allow them to control what we hear, what we don't. We willfully allow them to control our dialogues between each other. Texas is passing a law that... They used to need a license to carry a gun. And and let's be honest, in Texas, to get a license to carry a gun, it really wasn't that much. It wasn't that involved. And Dan Spafford, who's a longtime listener to the show, he told me, carrying guns in Texas to get a license, all you got to do is take like a virtual course and you don't even have to go to the range and yada, yada. And it's really easy to get it. So if they eliminate the license, it's really not a big deal because it wasn't that big of a deal anyway. Well, then let me ask you this. If it wasn't that big of a deal to get the license anyway, then why are they eliminating the need to get the license if it was a bare minimum requirement and it wasn't even tough for people to get the guns in the first place? Why do away with the license? If it wasn't a big deal, why do away with it? The reason is because it's a political grandstanding move because Abbott probably wants to run for president. That's why. Because they want to start some nonsense in the Texas State House, and they want voters to get hyper, and they want voters to go one way or the other. That's why. Not an actual tangible reason. Not because there's a real need to be granted by the wizard. Dare not I say grand wizard. Dare not I say that. Down there. <laughs> Knowing how some of those people are, but whatever. There's not a real reason for it. It's because behind the curtain, they just want to do something that really is insignificant just to get people angry, just to get people talking, just to look like they're all about gun rights. But you know what's so messed up about that? People are dying in California. We have shown no interest in tackling our mental health problems. We have shown no interest in tackling our gun show loophole problems. We have shown no interest in tackling the problems of illegal gun trafficking into our cities, which kills still the majority of the youth and the majority of gun deaths in this country, we have shown no interest in it, but they can get together and pass a law that you don't need a license while people in California are dying by going to work one day. That's where we are because we're letting these people manipulate us and do their BS while they hang out on their yachts and their cocktail parties and they keep reaping the benefits People are literally dying, and they're passing these insignificant, petty, silly laws. It's a joke. And the Supreme Court, just so you know, has taken up a case on right to carry. And that case is going to have huge implications for right to carry. Now, I don't know the constitutional implications. New Jersey, for instance, is almost impossible to be able to carry a gun. Do I think that's necessarily constitutional right? I don't know. But I do know that in a state like New Jersey where we've long had gun control and we don't think people in the shopping mall are just going to be carrying guns around all the time and where cops can make the accurate presumption upon seeing any firearm that it's on face per se illegal until proven otherwise, 
That's a good thing in New Jersey that we like to live by. All of a sudden, you're going to start arming everybody in New Jersey. It's going to be crazy. It's not Texas. It's not the West. We're not used to that. Supreme Court should not be sticking its nose in that and overturning that. I know it sounds counterintuitive. If you go back to the 50s and 60s, that's what Southerners said. Don't stick your nose in our business. But the truth is, it's kind of crazy that the Supreme Court's taking up a, a case to allow more guns when we have a gun epidemic and a violence epidemic in this country. It's just a little bit scary. And and Rick made that point. He made that point earlier, and I didn't dismiss it because it's, it's a good point. There are secessionists in Texas. There are people that – now, whether they think they're actually going to secede. See, that's where I differ from certain conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theorists will tell you that there actually is some end game or there's some gain to be, you know, a practical, objective, tangible gain that people are going to get from doing things. I don't think there's like a conspiracy that has an end. Like, I don't think they actually think Texas is going to secede. I think there's people that play on that sentiment of people in order to fundraise, make money, run for office, etc. And it's interesting. So on that subject, I want to talk quickly about two things, and then I'm going to drop this thing that I've been kind of working on all week that I find fascinating. That's an example of everything we just talked about. First of all, Matt Gates. <laughs> I just want to touch on it because he was in the news again recently, and he was in the news because the rumor is about Matt Gates that he may run for president. Matt Gates has said that, look, I support Trump first and foremost. Trump's the guy. Trump should run in 2024, blah, blah, blah. But if Trump doesn't run and they need a Republican to run, then I would like to run and I would like to be the Republican candidate for president. And his words were, and I'll beat whatever's left of Biden, which this nonsense about Biden being old and all that. He's outplaying certain people right now. So I don't know what they're talking about, but whatever. Anyway, I I just got me thinking about Gates again. So Gates is the guy who looks nuts, looks like a cartoon character, like in those movies, you know, the comedy movies from the early 2000s where there was like the, for lack of a better term, there was the douche character, just the the douche. Like that, that's Matt Gates. Like that's what he looks like. That's what he sounds like. That's what he acts like. That's it. He's the guy who's also under investigation for possibly sleeping with and transporting an underage girl for sex. So that's him. Anyway, it got me thinking about Gates and and, and thinking about this whole thing of who are these people that we give power to? Who are these people? Why do they have power? What's so great about them? Matt Gates. I looked into him. You know what he is? You know, his father was a politician in Florida. His father had a lot of money. His father's father was a politician in North Dakota. He was the mayor of a town in North Dakota. He was a successful, prominent politician in North Dakota. He also had money. Matt Gates is 39 years old. That means he's not much older than me. He's 39. He looks like a clown. He acts like a clown. He sounds like a clown. He is a prominent national player in our politics. He has a say in how our, how our country runs. He has a say. He has access to money, to power, to platforms. Why? Just because his daddy was rich and his daddy's daddy was rich. That's it. 
What's between me and Matt Gates? Besides three years of age. Other than where he was born and the advantages he got from being born. Yeah, and you're right, Rick. He, he and Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene are on tour. You're right. They are. They're on tour. Yes. Yes. Again, this is what they're doing. They're traveling around the country in this freak circus to, to gin up all this support from all these people. Because they don't care what's right and what's wrong. And, and these people are so quick. Anybody ever read The Emperor Has No Clothes where they essentially told the emperor that we're going to make you clothes, but you know only people who are ignorant won't see them. Everybody who's got wisdom will see the clothes. And the emperor starts walking through the streets basically naked and all the people want to feel smart and no one wants to speak up. Group think they all start following through the street until some kid finally says... You know, the emperor has no clothes on, you know, and they still keep marching. It's like no one is questioning why Matt Gates is. Why are you buying a ticket to go to a show or a rally that features Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene? Why? Just because they agree with what you say? Why are, why are you paying to see them? What puts them on a pedestal above you? What? What have they shown you? And that's what I'm saying. Somebody like me, I sit in this podcast, I talk whatever I talk, but I'm a transparent person. You know me. You know where I'm from. You know who I am. I never pull any punches. I always tell you what's what. I'm just a guy amongst everybody. Matt Gates isn't, but he's got the platform. He can be a candidate for high office. He's got a vote. He's got a say. I don't have anything except this podcast. And maybe that's a little bit too much. I have other... I'm in a prominent position myself in some ways, but I worked my ass off to get it, and it's still nothing near Gates. So it's just interesting. It's just interesting. That being said, let me get to the meat and potatoes of this show. So first of all, the New York Times today, and and I don't know if you've seen the documentary and The Social Dilemma. I still haven't seen it. I got to sit and watch it. But most of the things I'm talking about as far as manipulation, it goes back almost a decade now. Russia and China have been involved. Domestic players have been involved. They are using... There was research, especially over the last 20 or so years, there's been research, and I agree, Rick, except the people on this cast, because we all have it. The... There's been research into, you know, marketing algorithms are nothing new. Even before social media, marketing algorithms and and target marketing and people's propensities and people's psychologies as they related to marketability, that's been studied for a very, very long time. That's nothing new. That's nothing new. But recently, it's really, really, really infiltrated our social dialogue and narrative, and it's taken over our politics. I mean, our politics is all about marketing, and our marketing is all about politics. Just like that study last week came up with, we are mainly divided by party because party and political ideology is literally in everything we do. Where we eat our food, where we shop, the music we listen to because of this marketing and this political infiltration into marketing and vice versa 
everything has some air of cultural identity politic to it. And if you don't believe me, who do you picture when you think of who shops at, say, a Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods? Who shops organic? Who's vegan? What do you think of? When you turn on a country music station, and a lot of country music is very good, but why are some of the contents of the song simply about how American they are, how much light beer they drink, and what they drive? Is it simply because they're country boys, or is some of it because wrapped up in the music is a sense of identity? If I listen to this and he says, I'm an American, hard cut, but... It, you, you feel about your identity. You're relating to it. it. When you listen to that, it says something about you. It's So this, this has been a lot, around a long time, but it's getting more and more prominent, especially in terms of ideologies and political stuff. So this week in the New York Times, there was an article about how in London and France, in London and France, several social media influencers, in quotes, influencers and why am i always railing against influencers because again who the hell are these influencers who are they they get a blue check mark and the next thing you know they can do no wrong they're a quasi celebrity do you even really know what their daily lives are some influencers have to spend every day all day posting social media content in order to even become an influencer and even if they max out their earnings without sponsorships just maxing out their promotional earnings on social media chances are they're only making like a middle class salary if you spend all your time doing it and you make max out money and you're not like a celebrity you're probably making what 50 60 70 grand total so who are they? For all you know, they live in their mother's basement, but they got check marks and they have massive amounts of followers and they have an influence. That's why they're called influencers on our social dialogue. But who are they? Why do they deserve that? Well, the New York Times reported that several of these influencers were contacted by an agency that claimed to be a London public relations agency, offering them substantial payments in euros to on their social media platforms, which they're deemed influencers, they have large followings, to leak information or put out information that would cast doubt on the effectiveness on the, of the Pfizer vaccine. To put out information about how the Pfizer vaccine was causing deaths, how it was unsafe, all of those things. And if any of you know any people, and I'm sure we all do, right? None of us on this podcast. But I'm sure we all know people who are susceptible to influencers, right? People who are susceptible to those blue check marks and whatever they say. And you've heard them parrot some things that these blue check marks have said. And you've said, that's not true. Where are you getting that from? And they say, oh, this blue check mark here. Look at their video. It looks so good. She knows everything. I follow her. Anyway, they got paid, offered money to cast that on the Pfizer vaccine. A lot of research into the intelligence well, intelligence agency researched into this incident has shown that most likely the London ad agency was a cover for Russian or Chinese actors who were trying to cast doubt on Western vaccines. Because, again, if they sow enough doubt in our institutions, if they sow enough doubt in our society, if they pit us against each other, we will destabilize. And if we destabilize, it's better for them. And I don't want you to think that this is a grand thing. There's no grand conspiracy. Like I said, it's not Russia and China. 
in conjunction with Matt Gates. No, it's like Matt Gates and all these idiots over here trying to make money. And then it's Russia and China because they want to take down the United States. It's all these different people with different agendas, but they're all have found the way to attack us where it hurts and to benefit themselves. They all have different goals, all have different agendas. They're even fighting with each other, but they've all found out that if they commandeer politics, marketing and social media, they can destroy our society. That being said, here's the final story, and this is what I was getting to the whole night. Last week, I told you about this website that I had seen pop up. Again, this is just a classic social media, and I'm going to go back to the beginning of this playlist for this story because I just dig it, and that was a good playlist. But So it was called Push Black. Push Black. It's very, very well followed, Okay. And this goes deep. This is crazy stuff. It's very well followed. A lot of people I know follow it. I followed it for a time. It says that it just gives tidbits about African-American history every day. But I told you last week that I found a lot of the stories to be misleading. Many of them, some of them were blatantly false. Many of them were misleading. A lot of them had a pronounced agenda. Like even if there was good news, like Derek Chauvin being convicted, they would put something out that he really wasn't convicted for the right reasons. It's all just to pull the wool over your eyes. In reality, he's getting away with it. He's living life. He's living lavishly in prison. All this just blatant nonsense. And there's a lot of other misinformation on that site. And I've noticed, and I've noticed that every time they post this misinformation or whatever that gets people really angry and there's just comment after comment after comment, people just getting so angry, black, white, and everybody, just anybody who follows it, just angrier and angrier at this information. And after every news story, it says, we are a grassroots organization. We only function with support from people like you, like a PBS thing. Please donate. And they have donation goals and all this stuff to try to get donations on their site. And they're on every platform. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're everywhere. They're on YouTube. And I told you that the women who appear on the videos for them look like normal, younger African-American women just talking about things. So I was like, well, who's the founder? And I told you that I researched it. and It was very hard to find any information on the actual founder of this push black organization. But I was suspicious. Like, I got to find out who it is. So finally, I found on some business listing website, you know, one of those things that just shows you like the actual business records of something that's made public. It's some guy named Daryl Scott. Daryl Scott's the founder of this. So I'm like, okay, Daryl Scott. So let's see what he's about. Maybe he wrote a book. Maybe he's a college student. You know, maybe he was, you know, the prominent in politics. He must be somebody who just decided to create this in order to further, you know, messaging or just to educate people or something altruistic. I researched him, and he's, he's really got a very sparse presence on the internet. There's not much you could find about him. And I'm researching, and I'm researching, and I'm researching. And I finally come across one video that was from Harvard University, and it was only had 200 views on YouTube. And it was him just talking about how he was mobilizing people through history tidbits. And he seemed like he was genuinely interested in history, and it was altruistic, and he was doing it for the right reasons. But it was still suspicious because he's like, why isn't he anywhere else? Then I saw that he belonged to all these other organizations. These are like further left organizations that are funded, well funded by big companies, big donors, wealthy people, like a lot of money behind it. He's a fellow at a lot of these places. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people are fellows 
of different organizations that, you know, progressive or conservative organizations. Nothing wrong with that. Well, finally, I'm looking into who's fat. I'm like, okay, but what is his relationship to Push Black? I'm looking through his history. I'm like, why is he funding this site that's collecting donations but seems to be funded by by these big organizations? Why is he pushing such false information? What's going on? I'm like, where is he from? Is he is he is he really a grassroots guy like like the site proclaims they are? Or is he somebody prominent? Who is he? So I finally found out that he's from Little Rock originally, Little Rock, Arkansas. Now he doesn't have a Twitter anymore. He doesn't have anything. It's like the guy you see a picture here or there, and then he's like a ghost. But he's running this huge site that everybody knows. That's pushing information like four or five times a day. They're creating sentiments in the populace. They're they're pushing people towards a they get their attention emotionally with a raw story that sounds very, very racist and it gets people ang- like energized and frustrated, then it directs them towards the ideology they want them to. Which is, on this particular page is far leftist ideology. Far leftist ideology. A lot of, you know, get rid of prisons, get rid of police, all that stuff too. So finally, I come across a news article and it says Daryl Scott, the founder of Push Black. And look, I'm not attacking people for issues they may have. I'm just trying to tell you to be mindful of what you're reading on the Internet and who's behind it. If people struggle with personal demons, that's nothing to be critical of them for. But it's just like who is behind the information that drives us? Daryl Scott is the brother of Frank Scott Jr., who's the mayor of Little Rock, Arkansas. So he's from a, a somewhat prominent family. His brother's the mayor of Little Rock, Arkansas. Number one. Number two. In July, on or about July 8th, 2020, he was arrested for kidnapping, theft, and a litany of other crimes. He got into a car that belonged to another woman that was a pickup truck that was just parked outside a convenience store. And he took it with her two children inside of it. And when the woman got on the phone with him, he said, don't worry, I'm the mayor's brother. He drove it to a mall. I think he got in some crash. They arrested him eventually. Came out that his parents were trying to commit him involuntarily. He was living in D.C., spent $25,000 on different hotels. His parents were trying to commit him because he was out of control. He was not taking his medication. He was not listening to what his doctor said. He was a threat to himself or others. He had been spending time in a voluntary treatment center in Washington, D.C. because of his mental instability. But even more interesting, he was fired from Push Black because he apparently improperly used the company's credit card. Now, here's the interesting thing. He was fired from Push Black and spent time in D.C. mental health wards. Makes you wonder, like, A... Was he legitimately like, look, I don't like where you're going with this site. I don't like where it's going. I don't like what I created because of what you're using it for. And they pushed him out. Was he driven crazy by what went on there? 
or me, I'm not really a conspiracy theorist. Was he just somebody who was out for personal profit, who was mentally unstable, who had issues, who created this thing, not necessarily for altruistic purposes or to get these messages out that needed to get out, but to push a certain agenda and to make money from it and to gain notoriety amongst influential people in politics who he was going to benefit by creating such a platform that was going to generate votes for them in their agendas. So even more interesting, I traced back some of his fellowships and it comes back that he's a fellow under a man's organization named Jeff Skull. Now, Jeff Skull, if you don't know who that is, he was the first employee of eBay the first employee of eBay. He worked for eBay. He became executive vice president of eBay. He left eBay very, 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 very rich. He's a billionaire. I think he's like the ninth. And by the way, he's Canadian. I think he's the ninth richest person in all of Canada, this guy, Jeff Skull. He founded a film company like Syriana. He, he, he made that film. He's very far left. That's okay. You can be far left. He spends a lot of money on charitable purposes, charitable endeavors that push progressive or more left-oriented stuff. All that's fine. But here's the most interesting thing I found about Jeff Skull when we talk about who drives these things. For what reason? Who's the man behind the curtain? Behind Daryl Scott, who's locked up. And now hopefully gets out of trouble behind the people pushing the message, behind those people on the blue check marks on your social media. Who's behind it? Is it China? Is it Russia? Or is it guys like Jeff Skull? Jeff Skull, apparently, he funds and runs a project called Rise. Now, Rise sounds good on the surface because Rise is supposedly supposed to generate social engagement to positively move society in a given direction, right? Only the caveat is this. Rise invests in organizations that are platforms that push people to certain social movements for profit. Explicitly for profit organizations, not nonprofits. He finances for-profit organizations. So, Daryl Scott was a fellow of his in this program. Push Black is asking for donation after donation, but they already have billions of dollars funding them. And Jeff Skoll, who's a billionaire, funds sites and, and, and has conducted research. He's funded projects that researched algorithms and the technology that taps into people's psychology to see what resonates with people socially to mobilize them politically and socially. He's funded that research and now he finances projects that use that research for profit. For profit. So what looks like an organic site that's touching people's lives every day, defining how we feel about things, defining how we react to things, defining how we interact with each other, creating the medium in which we interact because a comment section of any post of a prominent organization is a place where people do interact 
The parameters of our societal dialogue, the parameters of our societal interaction, the parameters of our overall politics are defined by these types of entities. And these type of entities are a lot of times funded deep down by people out for profit, very powerful people, very wealthy people who could just as easily just run themselves or something, but they go through all these steps in the ladder to come out at you looking organic and infiltrating you in the most intimate places, which is JM when you scroll through your social media account. This was some huge thing just at that organization. That's just one example. That's just one example of what are probably numerous, numerous situations like that one where people who you wouldn't necessarily approve of telling you what's what if you knew them for all they are by looking them dead in the face are influencing you through politics, through organizations, through other mediums because they've gotten lucky enough to have that platform one way or another and we are letting them do it and we're all culprits and we're all victims of it. And it's interesting and startling that that's going on. We all have to be mind, no matter what the issue is, there's serious issues. There's systemic racism. There's policing problems. There's gun violence. Mental health crisis through the roof. Now we got inflation coming. We got... And it's... We're being manipulated by people who are out for themselves, who don't have any right to be the ones manipulating us. It's scary. And it's not like you can unplug from social media. Social media, we're on social media right now. Who, who am I to criticize what I, what I utilize right now is my own medium. But what we can do is be smarter about it. If you see a suspicious page, just unfollow them. If your friends are getting susceptible to some blue check mark, tell them about the blue check mark. Pull them into the knowledge. Bring them onto Logic and Larry or some other place. Fight that nonsense. Not physically, not to the point that it destroys you mentally, but fight that nonsense. Can be the vitality of anxiety and the humans. I mean, humans are genuinely good people. When you walk outside and you're not on your social media and these people and these organizations and these pages are not getting so worked up and so angry and they're not defining who you are and defining who your enemies are supposed to be and defining who your allies are supposed to be. And you walk out and make those judgments for yourself based on who your neighbors are, who you work with, who has a vested interest similar to yours. You're going to make better decisions. You're going to be in a better place. than you would have been otherwise. So I encourage you to do that. They're cheating us of our actual social interactions with each other. And that's probably what's leading to a lot of these shootings too and a lot of the pandemic of violence we have in this country. People feel isolated. People feel like there's enemies all around them. People feel like there's opposition all the time. They're always in an argument. They're in this constant state of battle, this constant ideological warfare. That's not accurate. That's just what they're doing to manipulate us for their own profit or their own power or whatever else. And none of them deserve to be in the positions that they've put themselves in.
fight that. Call out the man behind the curtain. Call out the woman behind the curtain. Be mindful that there is always somebody behind the curtain. And not in some crazy conspiracy sense, but in just a very real sense. There's always somebody behind something. There's always some bias behind But just be mindful. Be mindful. With that said, I'll open it up to calls, and then I'll wind down after that and say my last words. But I hope you enjoyed the show. I try to touch on all the news and try to have a grand theme, you know, that we can kind of... Uh, touch on like a, a general message every week so that we kind of leave feeling a certain way like we can you know feeling good and feeling like we have a way to make an impact and at the same time we um you know we want to know the news we want to know what's been going on so uh that being said i'm opening it up for calls anybody want to call in Give a call. Just hit the uh, call-in button on the app. That's how we're doing it lately. I was going to have Neil on this week to talk about inflation because inflation is an ongoing problem. But um, Neil couldn't make it this week. He's going on vacation soon. So he wasn't able to make it this week. But when he gets back in about a week or two, we're going to talk about inflation. All right, Rick. So you're on the Skype line now, which I don't know how long we could be on, but you're on that. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. So you're on the app, but you can't hear me on the app? Yeah, when I dial into that app, I can't hear you at all. And then my voice echoes, and uh, it's, it's a pain in the ass. It's weird. But you, So what, when you call the app, then you stop getting sound from the app? Or yeah, you're listening? It doesn't come through my phone at all. That's weird. Oh, but you're listening, you're listening on the computer, though, not on the app. Not on the yeah, phone. Yeah, I'm listening, but, I, but I'm using the app so that I can chat. Oh, I see. So there's something with your phone or app that's a problem. That's just not connecting to audio properly. Weird. All right. Well, what's up anyway? What's on your... You're breaking up for head. Yeah. All right. Let me, let me move over here and see if that helps. How about now? Yeah, you sound clear now. All right. Let's talk about nuances. Yes. So, I mean, I'm mostly in agreement with everything you said, obviously. Right. And you and I have talked a little bit about it. Right. But there's been a lot of, uh, I don't know if you get all of this chatter that happens when these. Again, breaking up again. Ah, oh, man. What the hell? I don't know why. You never really break up. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I know you were having some technical difficulties. Siren called it out, and somebody else said they were having it as well. Right. But uh, anyway, so, you know, I, I, I've been catching a lot of grief, and this goes back to what we've talked about before, where people are real polarized, and they don't hear what you're saying. Right. Yes. And... Uh, so it's abortion thing, right? So it's all men, men, men. And I keep saying, yeah, that's bad. But there are a lot of women behind this anti-abortion stuff as well. Oh, yeah. I point out specific examples. 
Oh, there are. A lot of the protesters are women when you go to any of these things. A lot of the uh, even congressmen, judges, there, there's a lot of women in the in the pro-life movement. Right. And, and but that's what I mean. It gets channeled and changed and it becomes like it's men are doing everything bad to women or white people are all racist and we're all doing bad things to uh, people not of our color and we just have it so easy and so I've been arguing about that the nuances right 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 like privilege is is, a, is the word that creates a problem and I was talking to this professor and she's telling me that I don't get it right and I'm saying that privilege is a strong word and when I say what white people have is more of like a, a baseline or a standard, right. not privilege. It, she says, but that means that everybody that's not normal is abnormal. I'm like, how can you understand it from that aspect? But you don't understand what I'm saying about privilege. The only people privileged in this society are the wealthy people, right? But privilege, it, it depends on how you define it because privilege is, is – I mean, privilege is is a tough word. That's why people don't. That's why it doesn't work. But let's let's face it, privilege doesn't work with most white people because they don't like the connotation of what privilege means. But what they're trying to say is that it's an advantage. But it is an advantage. No, just because somebody else is disadvantaged doesn't mean we have an advantage. That that's my point. I think it's like it's like saying anybody that doesn't have Down syndrome is privileged. Um, yeah, yeah, something you're born with. Yeah, I mean, I guess that you know, you're so you're saying that it's not a, it's not, it's not a leg up. Yeah, it's it's it, it should be a baseline, and I don't mean that like that 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 you know, people of color are not disadvantaged because I know they are. I, I'm well aware of that, and I state that even in my statements on Facebook or women. You know, like everything is has been designed for men to control women as if we all had these meetings and we decided, Hey, you know what? Let's oppress women. Right. And that's just not the reality. But I think what they mean in privilege is like, I don't know. It's like you get, you just, your life is, is easier than somebody of color on, on the most, for the most part, like that skin color alone gives you, gives you an advantage. Like, it does because you can walk in. If you put on a suit and clean up well, you are presumed to have like a certain status. Whereas other people who look different, even if they do that, are not necessarily presumed to have that status. Like so, I don't, being I don't think that's any different. What do you mean? For black people, I don't think it's any different for black people or women. I mean, if if you get pulled over by the police and you're a black man and you're in a Mercedes and you're wearing a suit you're going to be treated with more respect. And I used the example of myself for years as a long haired guy and how I was treated by police as opposed to when I cut all my hair off. And I realized that's not a, a fair assessment in the great scheme of things because, you know, I can cut my hair and change. You can't change the color of your skin, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I was judged very differently having long hair than I am without it. And I, I think there's this, Again, we're talking about nuances and police, and I think black people as well, and, and any people, and me when I have long hair. We have this ideology going in that we're against the police and that the police are against us. 
and that creates conflict immediately. Now, right. If you want to say it's privilege that I can, you know, get pulled over and not worry that I'm going to get killed, I mean, you're right and you're wrong because I've had guns pulled on me numerous times. But I think um, with regard to that, yes, like I, I am somebody who's had the conversation many times that like the fact is if you look like a straight up, you know, grungy, you know, criminal white dude running around and you're a black person who's dressed in a suit, you know, whatever, you, chances are people are going to be more apprehensive around the white dude because of that. That that it gets a little bit too far where you're like, no, even the even the, the, the white dude on the court. No, but. But like you said, you can change something quickly about it and no one's going to look at you differently. What would you say to the fact that they've had blind studies where they've sent in the identically same resume or the same paper or the same document and they've assigned a white name or a black name or shown the picture of the candidate to blind people that had no clue they were in a study? Same identical, identical resumes, identical everything. They've done it with women and they've done it with people of color. And every time they do that study, people with white names or white pictures get higher grades, get called back way more often, get more compliments. And people who are women or of color or et cetera, with with, uh, names of ethnic people, they get lower marks, they get less callbacks and all that. Now, that's been studied. That's that's a, a, a documented, legitimate study that I say would prove the theory that white people have some privilege in this society. Uh, uh, I mean, you can call that privilege, but I, I just think that, that that term, that term implies something that is not happening. You know, you had to struggle. I had to struggle. Right. Yeah, it, but it's not like we just had shit handed to us. No, but no one. See, that's why we always uh, we, people always. I think that's the connotation, right? Everybody who's told that they're privileged thinks everything was handed to them, but that's not what they mean by that. They don't mean that everything was handed to them. It's, it's me taking personal offense at being called privileged. It's this idea that other people, women or or black people, are are considering that term. I mean, I don't know if you remember when Eddie Murphy did a skit a million years ago where he dressed up like a white dude. Eddie Murphy? Yeah, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I mean, he's done it a billion times. He just did it again yeah. coming to America, but too. He went, in, he went into, like, uh, a store, and once the black person left and Eddie Murphy was just there, the guy, he picked up a paper, and the guy's like, no, just take it. And he's like, what? He's like, no, just take it. And then he goes, gets on a bus, and everybody's quiet, and then the black people get off the bus. And then all of a sudden, you know, the girl stands up and strips off her uniform and, and there's a party on the bus, right? That I think that the idea of privilege is that somehow we can just do whatever we want and it's going to be handed to us. And, and that's just not the reality. I mean, you busted your ass to get into Rutgers, much less, you know, working through being at Rutgers, right? Yes, but... So and, and to and to be fair, this is where there's nuance, like we talked about. Like there's you there's programs at Rutgers that sometimes it was my scores had to be a certain level higher or whatever. That's true. And whatever, actually, actually because of you know my demographic, which is different, you know, it it complicates the conversation, but at the same time, once I turned 30 something. I mean, I could drive my car around and yeah, I'll still get pulled over more than some guy driving a Prius, but 
I'm going to get pulled over and harassed less with me in my car than if a dude who was black was driving my car. That's that's just truth. There's a certain level, especially as a white man, as you get older. I don't think youth is is, but then again, youth is probably just as unequal because all youth get harassed, but black youth get harassed way more. But that's once you, once you hit thirty, huh? That's thirty five when I cut my hair off. Is that's what I'm saying. Right, but and once I, and yeah. I was immediately called sir afterwards. That's, that's what I'm saying. But that's that's the privilege they mean. They're not saying it's privileges like your your entire life was easy. They're saying you have a certain element where people are going to start calling you sir as soon as you cut your hair off and turn thirty something years old. That's and and yeah. this country's run by people who look like you, and that's who's in power, and that's who in most places has all the power and is looked at by everybody as the powerful class. So if you walk around looking like a white male in your 30s or 40s or 50s, you have like a deference societally. You do. And and that's what they mean. I think it's I think it's I think it's a well thing. I think that there's more more concern that I may be somebody influential and you can call that privilege if you want, but because I'm white, but the reality is is that it it you know, us middle class and poor people, we can't afford to lawyer up in a traffic ticket. We can't afford to lawyer up when some some law firm see, tries to seize our assets because of a 20-year-old debt that we didn't even know about anymore. We can't afford yeah, but, a bunch of normal things that the wealthy people can't. I guess you, and so yeah. there's, there's, there's a difference. I mean, yeah, but I don't, I don't think, think anybody. I don't think anybody's arguing that, though. I think your def, your reading of the definition is not what they're saying when they say it. They're not talking about that. They're not saying that you can just get out of tickets and lawyer up and jet set around the globe. That's not what they mean when they say it. That's how well, you're interpreting, huh? That would be privilege. Well, I what is the definition of privilege? Can fight. somebody get me the definition of privilege, like Miriam Webster, right now? Because I don't know it. Yeah. I wish I had it up. I don't. I don't. Who has it? Somebody on the chat. Get me the definition of privilege. Miriam Webster. Somebody. There's 10. There's people listening. I want somebody to get it for me. Hold on, because I want to see where this goes. We're going to see. I genuinely don't know what it is. We're going to see. I, now, by the way, we're talking about messaging and things like, you know, like defund the police. I think it's a terrible slogan. Like some slogans aren't good. Yeah. I don't think white privilege is the best slogan for the the theory that's being, you know, that's being pushed, for lack of a better term, because people don't take right to it. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So here we go. A special right advantage. Yeah, granted or available only to a particular person or group. Education is a right. Not so that that that's their definition. It's accurate. It's not it's not all encompassing. You can do whatever you want all the time. It's a specific special right advantage or immunity granted to only one person or group. There is certainly advantages and um, immunities to some extent granted to white people just for being white. That's the privilege they're talking about. I, okay. I, I totally disagree with that. I mean, well, how do you disagree? So what? So what? That doesn't mean anything. Take your take the definition and tell me why they're inaccurate. Because I am not. I don't have a special right. I don't have an advantage, and I don't have immunity. But you said people call you sir as soon as you cut your hair. That was one cop and one anecdotal statement. I was just showing the difference between perception there. 
So you are you are claiming that you have the same. You're basically you walk out the door. You're the same as any person of color. Period. You don't no. have any leg up on them. No, no. I'm saying because there is a disadvantage due to racism doesn't mean I have an advantage. I, I don't. I just have a normal <laughs> chance. What? Do, so, but only white people have a normal chance. No. Okay. Okay. So no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. So hold on. You said are you're not the same as black people, right? Why? Because they're disadvantaged. That's what you said, right? <laughs> yeah. So if they're if they're disadvantaged, disadvantaged as compared to who? So, uh, so who's who's? You're saying they're not advan- We're not advantaged, but they are disadvantaged as compared to who? Anybody who, who starts out ahead in, in this society, dude, there's a million people that are not, you know, living in the ghetto and harassed by police that are of all different colors. It doesn't matter if they're living in the ghetto. Are you saying that you are equal standing to, to black people, to a black man? I'm telling you there are 14 million white people that live below the poverty I don't level. care. That's are you? It's not. It's irrelevant. No, it's irrelevant. No, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. No, it's not. It's not. Stick in topic now. That's what we're doing. You said yeah. that you. you know what the you, difference is? Is that we don't have an excuse when we fail. Why not? Because we're white and we don't have an excuse. So, so everybody else can go slavery. I mean, I had a lady telling me, "Well, if you know, if your great 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 grandfather was a slave and couldn't read, chances are you can't read." And I'm like, "That's 150 years. If you can't read now in this modern society, that's not on slavery. That's on you." Yeah, but that has nothing to do with privilege. We're talking about privilege. You're saying that you're saying you're saying everybody else is disadvantaged except white people, and that would mean that in this society, if I'm saying white people have disadvantages too. But is their skin color a disadvantage on its face? They have a disadvantage against a racist person, but most people aren't racist. This society is built on years of racism. You've admitted. What about those? Again, what about those studies? I I told you those studies. Tell me why people of color and women are not at a disadvantage with those studies having been proven. How are they not at a disadvantage? Tell me how how, how the the successes are happening. What do you mean? mean, Obviously, what does that mean? People and women are getting jobs. There are more women employed right now in this country than men. So? So how did that happen? They're making less than men. If you send the identical no, resume in. No, I, I disagree with that. So you send the identical resumes in, the woman gets worse marks and doesn't get called, the man does, but there's no the disadvantage there. In the workforce than men, is that, is that a fact? More women in the workforce than men? There's yeah, more men in prison than women. Like 51 to 49 now. There's all kinds of reasons for that. There are men are sitting on unemployment. They don't want to go to work. There's women working multiple jobs who have kids that have to support them. There's men in jail, way more men in jail than women. Agreed. Yeah, so there's reasons for that that don't equate to they're more advantaged. So if there's more men in jail than women, how are women disadvantaged? That doesn't comport with the, the <laughs> argument at hand. It doesn't. It does. It, it, it flows all the way through this. The fact is, is that people don't want to be held accountable for what they do. The, the, along with the white privilege, and that's in quotes, comes 
white, no excuses. And, and, and that is a trade-off. I can't get a DBA loan to open a business. A woman or a, or a person of color or a minority can. I can't get a scholarship to school based on my race or my gender. But women and people, minority people can. Uh, it, there's a balance, and it's not being looked at because of the nuances like we were talking about. That, that that is a factor too. And there have been things put in place by white people through legislation or and other means to facilitate a path towards equality. And, and it keeps getting worse. I literally had a, that professor tell me that it's not much different for black people now than it was during slavery. Do you agree with that? No, but you're, you're taking it to a straw man. The fact is you said that privilege doesn't exist. Then you said that they're at a disadvantage. I, and then when you say yeah. there's a group of people at a disadvantage as compared to a group that's not at a disadvantage, and that's the composition of the entire country, how is it so that the one group that's not at a disadvantage by virtue of race is not privileged in that society? How is that possible? Because it's not a privilege to not be disadvantaged. If the society's comprised... Is everybody else on the team disadvantaged? If the society's comprised of disadvantaged people and then one group that's not disadvantaged, in that society, they are then advantaged. I, I, I don't... How is that not... How does that not work? The only group that's not disadvantaged by virtue of race is white people. Therefore, they are at an advantage as compared to everybody else in that society, putting them at a privilege. And, and again, again, why are there more then why are there more white people in jail, not per capita, but overall, more white people in poverty, not per capita, but overall, than anybody else? Well, overall, because exactly, per, per capita, because you take because you took out per capita. That's why there's just more white people, period, in the country. Done. That's it. Right. Well, should we look at crime statistics? You have to look at per capita. Every time I say crime statistics, somebody goes, yeah, well, that's just white men making crime statistics. That's not me. You're not, you're not talking to me about that. I'm not the one who says that. I disagree no. with that. No. But that doesn't I, negate I, privilege. If you're a cop and you know that black men commit almost 50% of all homicides in this country, does that not change your opinion when you're dealing with them? Or they're more likely to be violent with police officers than white people. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If that's the statistic, then wouldn't you say that any black man walking down the street is at a disadvantage because that statistic follows him around and is in everybody's mind all the time? Wouldn't you say that? That we don't suffer from that same statistic following us around, putting us at that disadvantage because of the perception. So even if you're just like you, you're always complaining that you're a white man who's had such a rough life. Well, what if you're a black man who's never done anything wrong in your life, but the perception is that you are more violent, all this other stuff, because the statistic follows you around. Now you're at a disadvantage just by virtue of your skin color, which is exactly what they're talking about. My, my statement, again, is I don't disagree that there's a disadvantage, but that doesn't make the other end of it a privilege. But by the definition of print privilege, it's an advantage for a certain group. And if somebody else, if everybody else in the group is at a disadvantage, and you have an advantage. No. That's yes. Not based on the color of my skin, because there's plenty of, of people of color that are way more successful than me. 
How did that happen? If in a disadvantage and I'm privileged, because it's not all encompassing. That's what the def. That's what the disconnect is, which is the. That's why I got the definition. Because if the definition of privilege made it all encompassing, then I would have said that the people coining the phrase are wrong. But actually, the definition was not all encompassing, meaning that you're understanding of their phrase is wrong because they're not saying that privilege guarantees you success no matter what or shields you from ever failing. They're just saying that that specific trait that you were born with being a white male in this society, which everybody else is at a slight disadvantage or a vast disadvantage, depending on circumstance, as compared to white males, that that particular trait gives you a particular advantage over people, a particular privilege. It doesn't guarantee guarantee success. That's not what they're saying. And they're not saying that the lack of privilege guarantees failure on the other side. Some people are saying that the far left people are saying that, but most people who use that term, if you actually break it down and try to be rational about what they mean and just be rational about the objective truth of the situation, there is a slight privilege that you're born with by being white because of the society we live in. Okay. That's all. (laughs) Okay. I mean, again, disadvantage doesn't mean it. it, While you can technically say yes, you have an advantage. Yeah, have a privilege. You could, I mean, you could argue semantics if you want. I mean, I like I said, I don't think that the the use of the term, man. It's the use of the term, and it's being perceived. Again, yes, we got into a head to head about the discussion of privilege and. And we derailed what my original point was, which was about the term being the wrong term, just like defund police is the wrong term to use there. Yes, yes. I I think there is a deficiency because of maybe not the literal definition, because now we know what the literal definition is. And I guess it does fit. But the connotation of the definition, the connotation of the word privilege I know it doesn't resonate because everybody who I've spoken to who's mad about it is somebody who sees it as an all-encompassing thing. They think that you're saying that you were born with a silver spoon because that's the connotation. So maybe politically it's not viable. I agree. But I think literally it's correct. My argument wasn't about how I feel about the term privilege or it wasn't meant to be. Right. It was about how other people view that specifically – the disadvantaged people in society. Right. Right. They're going to view that as, yeah, well, they got it made. And and, and to me, it promotes division and anger and all of the things that are not conducive to reaching a point of equity and equality. And that is my issue with it. It's not, I'm not mad because I'm white and you know, you call me privileged. That's, that's not what my stance ever is. And I know it comes across that way because because I'm white, and automatically, that's what is assumed. Just like when I'm a man and I'm talking to women, and I'm automatically mansplaining because I'm a man. Yeah, no, I understand the categorical identity stuff. I agree, because I always rail against how we've been so encompassed by identity only, and any interaction between people has to be automatically some kind of gender or race dynamic. And not every interaction is a gender or race thing that's at play. Sometimes it's just two people. I agree with that level of it, yeah. Now, now we're getting now we're getting now we're getting back to a, a common ground, which is exactly where I wanted to be. The, you're right. We we all have our uh, challenges, let's say. 
Yeah. And society, but society has moved forward, and and now everybody is acting, and this again is the nuances thing, as if everything's just as bad as it has always been, and I totally reject that idea because it's not. It's better for women. Yeah, I agree it's with that. For minorities, it's better all the way across the board. Yes, yes. I think there's a certain. I think the problem is in today's discourse, especially on the left, and I've said this a lot of times. There's like a longing for this militant, you know, you just got to tear it down mentality. And the only way to justify that mentality is to say nothing's improved because that discredits all the incremental improvements that have occurred absent that militantism over the last 50 years. So if you want to say we got to just tear it down, you got to discredit all that. And the only way to do that is to say it didn't get us anywhere. I, I agree with you that that's BS. It got us a lot farther than we were, and we're going to continue to go there. That's why I'm a moderate person, and I, you know, that that that's exactly I mean, what. The people I argue with in, in this over the, these subjects with women and minorities are the left, and they're very right. much judgmental and you know, quote woke, and and I just I don't. I don't dig the way that it's thrown down. I, again, there's that book, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but it says white. There's two kinds of white people: racist and people that don't know they're racist. And yeah, I totally yeah. reject. Yeah, that. I reject it as well. Right. I mean, that's that that's theories that are taking hold of academia that that we disagree with. Like we're on the same page with but that. This is the professor that I'm talking to, and she kept using the term "we, we, we" when talking about black people. She's a white woman. No, I get that. That's what, but I agree with all of that. I think, though, the reason I even had that extended argument with you on privileges because I think it's important that, it, like I always say, if we're going to have a conversation with people we disagree with, even people that are saying those things, like we've made no strides in the last fifty years, they've got to meet. We've got to meet them in the middle too. Like I hear you on privilege and I agree with it. However, here's where I take issue with this theory or that theory. If we're just like blanket saying privilege doesn't exist, whatever, then they are. Uh, perceiving us as people who don't want to listen to them we're perceiving them as people who are saying words that have bad connotations and and the entire dialogue breaks down so that's why i think it's important to acknowledge when it does make sense you know nuance yeah nuance exactly so i guess if you called and your grant thing was nuance we got to nuance rick so i think it achieved <laughs> its purpose with that with regard to that it was a good it's a good exercise nonetheless so well rick thanks for the call Always a pleasure, brother. All right, bye. So, and by the way, yeah, Siren's saying they need a panel. I think, yeah, we do. One of the biggest things I want to do is get a panel, but I got to make sure everybody's technical capabilities are up to par too when we do that. So I'm going to try to work that out. Like I said, Neil's going to come on soon, talk about the inflation and, and economic stuff going on, the stimulus, uh, how that's affected things, how it's run its course, infrastructure. But I do want to get the panel going, and we're going to do that soon, very soon. Um, I want to get like a kind of maybe a gender panel, a history panel one time, a gun panel for sure, uh, a race panel. We can get people to, to just kind of debate these different issues as well as as long as it's all respectful, which it, it usually is. I mean, and, and it's all um, everybody's comfortable. But I think we're going to do that probably soon because I think it would generate a lot of interest, to be quite frank. I think it'd be really interesting. So um, we're going to do that. If there aren't any more calls, we're winding down. So um, hopefully everybody uh, got their fill of Logic and Larry this week. It was a full almost two-hour show. 
I hope you enjoyed, you know, my general overall theme and everything else. And then the conversation with Rick, I think, you know, it's important to to flesh out those terms and those phrases and those issues as difficult as sometimes it seems to broach those subjects because they're sensitive subjects, especially in this day and age. But you really got to flesh those things out. You got to kind of go back and forth on those things and talk about, you know, what's entailed in them and how they make you feel and and what the parameters of the phrases and the arguments and the conversations are. Um, Otherwise we're really kind of never going to get anywhere. So um, yeah. And and you're right. I mean, that's just how, that's just how it comes across sometimes, you know, it's our mentalities, but that's fine. That's fine. It's good for the show too. It's just, you know, it's good. It's good radio. So nothing wrong with it. Um, Anybody who's not in Jersey, I envy you because I think you're going to have a better weekend than me weather-wise. Being in Jersey in the Northeast, it looks like it's going to be a washout late tomorrow and all day Saturday. And I'm just praying that Sunday is going to be a little bit nice so I could do a little bit of a get-together and hang out and grill these sausages for once. And uh, anyway, have a very happy Memorial Day. Remember what Memorial Day means. Remember what Memorial Day stands for. Remember... uh, that uh, we are allowed to have these conversations and grill and celebrate and, and et cetera, because of the sacrifice that people have laid down for us um, to protect our freedoms and to protect uh, our way of life, which is uh, still very important. And all Americans are to some extent compared to many other places in the world privileged in and of themselves, even with the technology you're seeing with the vaccines right now, we are getting it at much quicker rates and we are therefore able to reopen and we are therefore able to stay healthy. Uh, and we are at advantage over other places like India that's really struggling right now. So, um, that's not necessarily something to celebrate because it's, it's sad that there's other groups of people elsewhere that are not in the same position as us, but it is important to reflect upon our advantages and our freedoms and those who have laid their lives down to uh, maintain and defend those freedoms for us. So that's what this weekend's about. And just keep that in the back of your minds as you go about your celebrations, pour something out for the fallen. And I will talk to you all next week. This is Logic and Larry signing off. Good night.